Previously on Stories About Music. So I'm, my name is Loren Alvarado and I, I guess I'd consider myself an artist. The longest conversation I can remember us having alone was about a song that her ex-boyfriend wrote about her in 2012. Whenever there's an album by a band, there's always like the one ballad, the one slow song, you know, the one mellow one. And that's the one I always love. About once a year, I go through a blue period. And the first time I can clearly remember it happening was five years ago, during the autumn of my second year in college. I would walk around those like cold winter nights in Boston and I would listen to um, these albums on repeat. Around that same time, I moved into an ensuite with a kid named Tyler. You know, they, they would be the theme songs to, uh, to my, you know, melancholy, to my, it was just the, the theme song to my days. As I made some final revisions to the Trouble Book story in March, my friend Tyler sent me a message asking when, or if, my radio story about him was going to be done. A few weeks earlier, I'd recorded an interview with him about the impending release of his fourth record, under the name Cloud. That album, Zen Summer, is his first one that's ever been released on vinyl, and by a real record label. He was anxious about it, and he wanted to know if whatever I was making about him could be ready by the time the album was released. I've always struggled with deadlines and timeliness, and on top of which, Tyler is not exactly a well-known musician. And the whole thing felt kind of sticky to my, frankly, overprotective sense of ethics about music journalism, of all things. You're listening to Stories About Music, a podcast on the subjects of music, journalism, and memoir, and how the line between those three things is often not as clear as I'd hoped. My name is Brendan Maddox, and this is Story About Music number five, my friend Tyler. How well researched are you in this interview? (laughs) I am so well researched. It's like I've been studying this for the last, I don't know, four years, five years, however long I've known you. So, uh... A regular listener might remember Tyler Taramina from Story About Music number 2. He's the guy that introduced me to Slowcore. Through a series of coincidences too meaningless to describe here, we ended up in the same six-person dorm in the fall of 2010, the beginning of my first blue period. I was so preoccupied by love in those days. I spent afternoons in my head thinking about a relationship that had lasted the entirety of my freshman year, and I was really worried about making friends. On a lonely Friday night in mid-September, I ran into Tyler as he came back to our suite. He asked me if I wanted to go to a party. I remember just prefacing the walk with like, 
bring your headphones because I don't I might not want to talk actually his exact words were a brusque bring your headphones because we're not talking I just need someone to be with but I don't necessarily want to talk to them <laughs> But the walk to the party was almost four miles, just a little bit longer than Tyler could keep his mouth shut for. What else? I mean, I was going through something with a girl, probably Lorena, and I was like, fuck this. Yeah, the same Lorena from story about music number three. So sorry to put you on blast like this, Lorena, but you're very important to everything that comes next. I was attracted to her from the second I saw her. And, uh... I became friends with her by like a series of me waiting by the elevator for her to like come into the building that we all had to take and like I would just like go in there with her and like overhear conversation or like make conversation and actually that didn't succeed until um, I went to borrow magazines from a friend I knocked on my friend's door and Lorena answered it I met Lorena through Tyler when they formed a twee pop band that fall I barely noticed her But it turned out that Tyler's entire year had been spent hanging around, trying to gauge her feelings about him without ever actually coming out and asking her. And then one day I just said, fuck it. I I, I was listening to to the song Work for Ariel, a live recording by Panda Bear where he says, like, I really want to do one thing my body needs to do, but that's not the part that got me. I really want to show to my girl that that I want her. And I was like, okay, I have to, like, do this. That, that just, like, spoke to me. I have to do this. I want to have that, you know, that honesty. So um, I told, I, I sat Lorena down after we, we, we went skateboarding or something. And I sat her down. And I was like, I have a joke. It's, it's not very funny, but, like, feel free to laugh. I'm crazy about you. <laughs> and I, the look on her face was like, it was the weirdest way you could contort your eyes to be bug-eyed. Tyler had mistimed his declaration, at least by a month or so. It didn't seem like anything was actually sprouting up. And then one day I was like, let's, let's crash a wedding, right? So we, we, we put on our, our bests, our Sunday bests. And we called up all the major hotels in Boston and we asked like, what time the reception is that night. And... Um, and I deleted my Facebook and I shaved my head like shortly after. And I was explaining to Lorena on this night of our big like wedding date, I think it was. Like, you know what? I, I'm shaving my head because, you know, I see like pretty girls and, and um, you know, I smile at them and, I, and they smile back sometimes. But like, I don't want to worry about that stuff anymore. You know, like I, I want to just like kind of shut off that that part that is self-aware of everyone who's watching me all the time. The night that Tyler shaved his head, everybody stood around and watched like it was a coming-of-age ceremony. Lorena was there too, and maybe I'm just letting history color my memory, but I feel like I could see something had changed in the way that she looked at him. A few days after, I left early to go home and get ready for a semester abroad in Europe. The last email I received from Tyler before Christmas had the subject line, Lorena. The body read, Last night, dude, she and I kissed like a thousand times. I'll miss you, man. Tyler grew up deep in that appendage of New York City called Long Island. 
Yeah, I come from a place called Smithtown, which that name could wrap it up right there. <laughs> That's a fucking white people city, 95.5% Caucasian. It's a cultural wasteland. Very, very oppressive. Man, and, and I don't think it really started to suffocate people around me anyway, people I thought were like good friends, until we got a little bit older, and then you have to like kind of make an identity for yourself when you are on your own. It's time to do something with your life, quote-unquote. There was this kind of zeitgeist of um, just bro, being a bro. Smithtown is a ways out from the city, over an hour in really bad traffic. It's spread out, there aren't a lot of sidewalks. So despite the fact that it's a suburb, it's got more of a wealthy rural vibe to it. When you're young, I don't think there's very much you can do. So what Tyler and a few friends did was start making music. So by the age of 16, March of 10th grade for me, we had Adam and Naive. This is Greg Salwin, guitar player and lyricist for the band Tyler played in all through high school. Adam and Naive. Like a lot of uh, bands when they first come about they just try to make things they think sound cool things they think uh could be like songs but greg who is probably my best friend that i have he he wasn't like that he he wrote things that were meaningful to him and that was a really big um influence on everyone around him that he was able to really express himself even if it was just like one of the words is i'm trying to balance work and school and friends on this fucking scale like that's like a funny lyric because the high school kid wrote it. But it's not like, you broke my heart, baby, because that's what other songs tell you should be songs, you know? And even though Greg sings most of the lyrics, Adam and Naive was pretty much the utopian ideal of the word band. The way that Adam and Naive has always functioned is that we, we're all sort of like pretty good at our instruments, but none of us are like amazing necessarily. Whenever we make a song, it's like five people each giving their own side of it, and then it comes together to make something awesome. I mean, that's the classic idea of harmony. I ran away with my friends down to South Carolina, and we're gonna buy a house and live there forever. Ran away with my friends down to South Carolina, and we're gonna By 2009, Greg had moved on to college while most of the other members were still wrapping up high school. Adam and Naive went on hiatus, but everyone took what they'd learned together and started making music on their own which led to the formation of the Practice Room Records Recording Collective. I don't know exactly who came up with the idea. I feel like it was always sort of brewing, is that like, we want to put out all this music. We don't, like, we don't care about putting them out on CDs necessarily, even though we did like CDRs and stuff like that. Um, we just wanted to put it out and like give it to our friends. We knew we would play shows and some people would like love it, and it was just like, oh, they should have it too. And um, we just wanted one place to put it all, so that was Practice Room Records. I've been a guest at several Practice Room events since I met Tyler, and I have never seen anyone have the depth of emotion for music that Tyler and his friends have for each other's work. The collective took its name from an unattached basement room under Tyler's parents' house. When Adam and Naive formed in 2005, everybody in the band helped clean it out. It's funny, actually. We would practice literally five days a week in the summertime. And when you didn't make practice, it was like everyone was pissed at you. 
And uh, it was through that repetition. That's all we did. That probably scared our drummer away forever. <laughs> we practiced in there for years, and it just I didn't really, like, matter at the beginning so much. But then we just started hanging out there. Like, everyone came to hang out there. So we would have, like... We'd hold, like, big events at the practice room. We would have, like, this thing called Praxterant. Did you come to Praxterant? No, I didn't. And without fact-checking, I would say it's probably because I was still 100 miles away, still a teenager in Pennsylvania, and having the exact opposite experience of the one Greg and Tyler were having. When I listen to Tyler talk about high school, I often feel like he lived through a kind of beautiful, cinematic depiction of what it's like to have friends. My, my, my graduating class in high school, they didn't really have a... Um like a uh, popular kids circle. It wasn't really like that. While my own experience of those years was something more like a grim, if humorous, theatrical production. I had a lot of friends of convenience, people willing to step on each other to make themselves feel tall. So when I first saw Practice Room Records, I was pretty jealous. And I also wanted to be a part of it. Tyler is, and I say this as objectively as I can, one of the sweetest human beings I've met in my life. The way that he acts and the music that he makes springs out of his incredibly earnest adolescence. I think that primed him to see the good in things like hometowns and friendships and amateurishness. While mine, well, I am not exactly a sunflower. People flocked to him. He's positive, encouraging, and he seemed, at least back then, to never want for anything other than romantic love. I, I guess I'll continue the Lorena story. I mean, we, we dated. We had a nice relationship. It was very innocent. It was very playful. It was very fun. It was based off our friendship. And I was also very desperate. I was like a little puppy boy the whole time. That never really went away. I returned to Boston after a few months in Europe. Maybe it was the contrast between gray New England and the warm, sunny spring I came from in the Netherlands. But upon landing, I felt kind of uneasy, like something had shifted in the ground that I came back to. That feeling persisted all through the summer and fall, until one evening in November when Tyler gathered us around a kitchen table in a friend's apartment. He put his hands flat on the tablecloth, looked at us and said, some days, guys, you wake up and everything is fine. And then other days you wake up and your girlfriend just doesn't love you anymore. No, it's fucked up, but I wish you the worst. How you call me your best friend. I called you my lover, so I'll see you on Sunday. Till then, just fuck off. I'll find peace in my room. She, she couldn't feel the same ways that I could and it was frustrating her and she wished she could but she couldn't and we had to split and it was like a lot of resentment and you hear it all in cover songs a lot of uh bad feeling did you have any other ways of like coping with feelings or was it was this like the outlet that formed its way for you as you grew up I suppose I suppose this this is it you know. Tyler and Lorena's breakup felt like the inciting event for a chain of missteps and failed friendships that marked my third winter away from home. 
I was not spared. At the time, I was far too self-absorbed and probably drunk to see what was happening to Tyler, but I think it came down to this. Though we had friends in Boston, we weren't the people who'd known him all his life, and as such, we didn't tether him to that sense of self that he'd felt in Smithtown, not in the way that the kids from Practice Room Records did. I feel like identity is something you cling to when shit is, like, rough. <laughs> you know, and high school wasn't like that. I had so many friends that I just loved and loved me. And I would say now I cling much more to music as an identity than I did then. I mean, the music I make, that is. A few weeks before he and Lorena broke up, Tyler had released a second solo album under the name Cloud, a love letter called Rocket. He was still playing in a band with Lorena, and still hanging out with her, even though this love that he'd built up had pretty much flamed out before he was ready for it. He played out more often, at bars and house shows, but even that only reminded him of the place that he'd come from. When you go to a show in Long Island, you'll probably know most of the people there, or if not, they're probably friends of friends. It's kind of like you're all in the same boat, almost. And you go because you don't want to be uh, at the gym or at the bar. I don't fucking know what people do. Those are the two places people go to in Long Island. It can only exist in suburbia, this kind of music scene. Even if it's a basement or house show in, in cities, I feel like it's significantly more fashion-based. For the first time in his life, Tyler was an outsider. And I have to say that I took just a little bit of pleasure in that. Mostly because I was and am... A petty, jealous monster. I was formless that winter. My second blue period began as I realized that I was closer to the end of college than I was to the beginning of it, and that scared me. A lot. I still wasn't sure who or what I wanted to have in my life, or what kind of person I was going to be. I wanted to be popular, but creative. I wanted to be the person whom people asked about if I wasn't at the party. And I also wanted to be successful. I wanted to be attractive. Tyler seemed like everything that I wanted to be, and to know that he felt just as alone in his little bubble. Well, it's comforting. But the way that Tyler dealt with that isolation was more skillful than mine. I was so immersed during the Comfort Songs period. I was so immersed in one feeling, one world. And you can be immersed in one world when you're in college, especially because there's not really much you have to do. And I was so in in the headspace of this love I had and this feeling that I followed it of, of ego and of it felt dirty and I was really curious for the first time, what is this feeling? Where does it come from? Am I gonna like, I can't do this again. Like I'm gonna prevent this. Reducing his ego became something like a pet project for Tyler. He started going to meditation and even once took a vow of silence for a few days. And by the time summer came around, he began to roll all of those experiences up into one new record. He called it Comfort Songs. And I think it is here 
where the line separating music, journalism, and my personal life first started to grow very unclear. Tyler invited me down to Long Island that summer to produce a few slow course songs, you know, in the style of Blue Tile Lounge. <laughs> you should still do that. What have you been doing with your time? I'd never been to Tyler's house for longer than a few hours, and I'd never been there alone before either. The trip gave me time to really take in the world that he'd grown up in. We spent most of our weekend holed up in the practice room. The actual place is a monument to friendship, covered with inside jokes, equipment, signs from the restaurant, and the little desk where every album that Tyler has ever made has been recorded and mixed. At night, we'd hang out with his friends, people like Greg Salwin, musicians whose work I'd only heard about through Tyler. He'd once told me that if I'd grown up in Smithtown, I never would have felt left out. And while I was there, I got the feeling that he was telling the truth. And then one morning, Tyler taped up a sheet of paper in front of a microphone. Cars and it's sometimes you get scared and I won't be okay until her hands in my hand. And sometimes though it's futile, I find the ghostly commands and I'll scream as you nothing. I'll sing Supposedly, I'm singing in there, somewhere, part of his world. Although I've never actually been able to hear it myself. Comfort Songs was a high point for Tyler. People who knew him, and even a few who didn't, liked it a lot. A small English label volunteered to put it out on CD in 2013, and that release attracted enough attention that two guys from Ireland asked to make Tyler's next album the inaugural release of their new label, on vinyl. I was probably about 14 years old when I, when I made my life goals. <laughs> One of them was to um, have my music pressed to vinyl, one of them was to tour around the world with music that I made and wrote with my friends. And the other one was to have a jukebox filled with seven inches that I collected all throughout my lifetime. <laughs> Which brings us to the conversation we were having about the upcoming release of Zen Summer and how Tyler wasn't as excited as I expected him to be. Part of me just wants it to be released already just for the anticipation sake of it all considering it's been almost two years since it's been recorded and written anyway. Do you, do you worry about how the album will be received? I do. I mean, I, I do, and I have yet to distinguish whether that's because worrying is just a part of me <laughs> or whether it, because it's something that is, is worth for me to worry about. Um, what are you worried about? I think uh, I think what I'm most worried about is not being accepted by the world for who I am. Me too, Tyler. Me too. It's just the burden of being an outsider to something, especially something that you've devoted yourself to. I always assumed that you weren't bothered by that, though. I mean, I, I just grew up listening to so many 
you know, guys and girls that were making music paved the way for me. You know, it affected the way we grew up and the way we, our psyches are and the way we see the world. And it's a conversation that I was led into that has shaped greatly who I am. And I've always wanted to continue that conversation. And especially as I've gotten older and, you know, all righteous or whatever and what I believe in. I think that there are things that I, 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 I could say. People don't talk about a lot of things that are important, especially in the music industry. They talk about bullshit. It's just how I've seen it, you know. So I want to, I want to uh, bring myself and my views and my, the reflection of what I've seen into this conversation. And uh, it would be kind of heartbreaking if that was just like <laughs> shat upon. But <laughs> do you think that that's like a, a very real possibility? I that I, I really don't know. I mean, comfort songs, I didn't think there was a possibility of it because it's like a debut. Who cares? Like, who's going to shit on the new guy? Not that it has such an acclaim to follow with, but I think with the whole, the sounds like Animal Collective or, you know, that kind of whole reduction, it could be kind of just dismissed very easily, which I worry about. I feel for Tyler. I really do. Especially because he might not have to worry about this stuff if it weren't for the odd, unexpected intervention of one person. Me. In 2012, I had my first and last public radio internship at the BBC PRI co-production, The World. It was kind of odd and unexpected that I was there in the first place. I was their third best option for only two slots, but to my surprise, they called me back and offered to open up the title of music intern just for me. It's by the grace of other people that we really exist in the world. I used their equipment and a BBC studio across the pond to construct my first story about music on a record label in South London. The world's Brendan Maddox has his story. Croydon, just south of London, is a type of area that metropolitan Americans are painfully familiar with. It is grayness. If there was, like, a fast food abyss, I think it would be Croydon. That cheery voice belonged to Jamie Halliday owner, spokesman, and sole employee of Audio Antihero, the same label that released Cloud's comfort songs in 2013. And um, how did you find out about Cloud? I believe it was all thanks to you. (laughs) Is that a leading question? Yeah, it was. Jamie asked me for some music recommendations once the story had aired, coincidentally, just as Tyler released comfort songs to his friends. Yeah, I've got a terrible concept of time, but I'm going to believe you when you say that. (laughs) Um, I mean, I liked it immediately. um, I think I must have sat on it or just not made any forward-thinking connection. Um, But for one reason or another, I was out late and I was listening to that album in full. And... It just kind of clicked that, oh, I could release this. And I never know if when I think something like that, I'm thinking I could get this album to more people or I'm thinking I could totally take credit for this. (laughs) I called Jamie for this story because, well, actually, I'm not really sure why I called Jamie, 
but I did. And when he said this, a light switch flicked on. I think what made this story so difficult to produce is not just that Tyler is my good friend or that I want to be an ethical, detached journalist, but that the whole story even arose because of a series of failures in trying to be an ethical, detached journalist and a good friend. In the process of failing to keep music, journalism, and my personal life separate, I managed to nudge a new door open for Tyler, while simultaneously making him more anxious about what it means to make music outside of it just being a fun thing to do with your friends. And all of this, I should add, is tied up by the one-sided competitive streak my ego has been running against Tyler for the last four years. I guess, I guess I'm, I'm having the same kind of quandary, because, like, to add this, like, last little bit into the story is to be like, hey, I'm part of this, this whole process, too, even though the truth of it is that I'm, I always feel like I'm kind of on the outside of this, this whole cloud thing. Even when I've been a part of it, I've always kind of felt like a... Like, just, like, I'm being included as a kind of, like, courtesy for hanging around for so long. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, it feels, like, very complex when it's probably actually very simple that Tyler ended up releasing music and it, it has something to do with uh, me. <laughs> do you feel happy or sad or something in between? I honestly don't know. I feel... Um, I feel very selfish for trying to say that out loud, <laughs> like kind of like kind of silly. And I, that's, that's the whole point of this story is that I feel like through Tyler, I can actually step back and be like, look at like what a doofus I really am sometimes. Like who gets jealous over somebody creating like great music? Well, actually, I guess everybody, everybody, <laughs> everybody does. <laughs> of course, it's a little more than that. I'm not just jealous of his talent, but his Tylerness, his people skills, the way that people ask about him if he's not at the party. But if I had to settle for one, I would probably take his success. And it gets worse, because sometimes when I listen to one of Tyler's albums, I imagine that I'm on stage performing the songs right alongside of him, projecting my own ambition to be recognized on top of this thing he made to help overcome his ego. Thankfully, it was something that Jamie kind of understood. I honestly, I think um, releasing records on a level like mine is a very self-important thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, Cloud made this gorgeous, unique album, and I'm standing in front of him, waving my arms, being like, hey, everybody, I released this gorgeous, unique album. Mm-hmm. That's a good point that you just made. Yeah. And, and with Tyler, it's just... It's weird because I don't think I've ever really, I mean, I have, I haven't made many relationships in music as positive as the one I have with Tyler. So it's, it goes deeper than worrying about press response to an album I didn't release. It goes more of, you know, is Tyler going to be happy? Um, Well, how is, how is your relationship with Tyler, I guess, more positive than most? I mean, anybody who knows Tyler knows that, a relationship with Tyler is probably more positive than any other. Yeah, I would suppose it is. He's always encouraging, usually willing to engage you in whatever weird place you happen to be in. That's what makes him a good friend. And the more episodes I produce, the more that I realize it makes him a better artist, too. The other, the other night, actually, I was talking to a good friend of mine, Holland. Do you remember Holland? Or no, you, you don't. Wally Hassan? <laughs> I do remember Wally. Is his name Holland now? He changed his name to Holland Holmes. 
does he have a career in porn or something like yeah he has a career in porn <laughs> uh, anyway i'm talking to, to holland in the car till like three in the morning you know he doesn't do small talk he looks you straight in the eyes and like he's listening and it's really crazy <laughs> And uh, he was telling me about his fears in life in terms of um, exploring his mind, which is, it was a really abstract conversation, but essentially what it boiled down to was fear is a big theme for him and it's a big theme for me too. And uh, it had me so lucid and almost anxious, kind of like I was feeling, you know, really on edge. And I remembered uh, why I wrote Zen Summer and what the sentiment was, and I don't remember this very often. Zen Summer is a—it's—it's it's an evening uh, during magic hour in summertime when you realize that you're alive and that you see that magnificence and it's enormous. And I said, "Fuck it, I don't care what anyone thinks about this. This is what it is, and I hope people see that and not not the other part of it, which is." You know, there's synthesizers here that kind of do E to A, which is a common theme in the album, you know. Or like, this is, sounds just like something off person pitch, you know. The people who can hear straight through to the heart of the work immediately, we call them our friends. And it's through their grace that we actually manage to exist. There's an inherent futility to what Tyler and I do if it never expands beyond ourselves. And if I want something to be jealous of him for, it should be the small head start that he's made in breaking through that barrier. Luckily, I think I have time to catch up. Tyler Taramina lives in Los Angeles. He's working on his fifth album, This Cloud, tentatively titled Plays With Fire. His last record, Zen Summer, came out on Paper Trail. You've been listening to Stories About Music. Our program was produced today by myself and approved by Kana Doles. Songs in this episode appear with the generosity of Practice Room Records. A list of those songs, in order of appearance, are available at our website, investigatingregionalscenes.org. Also on our website this week, an unreleased cloud track left off of Zen Summer for time, provided free of charge. Once again, the address where you can find this and other stories about music is investigatingregionalscenes.org. You can find stories about music on your local podcast provider, including, for the first time this week, on Stitcher. Thank you to Tyler, Greg Salwin, Jamie Halliday, and to Lorena Alvarado, who declined an interview but graciously permitted us to talk about her behind her back. And thank you, as always, to Michaela for her patience. I'm Brendan Maddox, back soon with another story about music.
next time on Stories About Music. Hey, forgot about the interview. A winged victory for the sullen plays the First Unitarian Church of Philadelphia, and Adam Wiltsey gives me some career advice. Like your whole life, this giant arc from the moment you're born, every single thing you do in life is all connected to what makes you, you know, whether you're a used car salesman or some clown making ambient music like I do. This, love, and Europe, all in the next story about music. <laughs>